0: to All That Matters from CJSR. I'm Marie Fontaine.
1: And
2: I'm Chris Chang and Phillips. All That Matters tells stories about arts and culture. Each week we try to take small bites out of a big question and Marie, this week's question is one you've been mulling over.
0: Yeah, today we'll be taking you to the neutral zone. You know, that place most of us tend to think that nothing really good happens there. The space between being in the limelight and stepping out of it. Because once you've been center stage, why would you want to be anywhere else? Some time ago I talked to Edmontonian actor Susan Sneath, who made me wonder what actually happens in that zone. Later in the show we're going to speak to one of the members of the Native Group of Seven and how he moved through the neutral zone. But first we'll hear from Susan Sneath. Susan was born in Saskatchewan. She studied acting at the National Theatre School of Canada in Montreal and has appeared on television, theatre, radio and the screen and now today she works as a careers advisor and facilitator in Edmonton. She has two children and two grandchildren. I caught up with Susan when she was managing all of Me, a small family business that sells stuffed gourmet olives, while that family member is my sister. Susan took some time out from marinating and stuffing to chat with me about her successful acting career.
3: I'm a person who is an actor. I'm an actor in every way you could see that. I have lived my life accordingly. I'm trained as a professional actor, and so I've done theater. I was in the first Edmonton Fringe, pregnant with my daughter Molly, who has now given me wonderful grandbabies. Can you tell us some highlights? I always wanted to work in plays that helped people see the darker sides of themselves with some hope. I've always liked change, so I have really enjoyed playing nasty characters. But the best one was when I played a a character who was aggressive. At one point she was cracking a bullwhip on stage. (laughs) She was uh, fencing with a baseball bat. I used to say to my children, I'm going off to make people laugh for money. And I've also done tragedy where I've said, I'm going off tonight to go make people cry for money. It's just my observation, but we are all things. And as an actor, what I loved was being able to look at this person that I am and find all the buttons of humanity that could be pushed. So I really resonated with a philosophy that said, we have all beings possible in ourselves. And someone who is destructive in the world does not view themselves as destructive. And so whenever I have played a character who is, quote-unquote, a darker character. I've always gone for what is their joy in life? Where do they wake up and go, oh boy, I'm me? No, uh, my quest for world domination. So that's one of your
0: mottos, your quest for
3: world domination. Yeah, I'd like to do everything. <laughs> don't forget that part. Oh, yeah. Because I'm not fond of that saying where someone says, you can uh, only do one thing. I don't agree. My job is to integrate my professional life and my home life. So I'm always taking the lessons I learn in life onto the stage. And sometimes the stage is helping run a wonderful store like all of me. And sometimes the stage is I also work as a facilitator helping people write resumes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's my stage where I help people see themselves through words in a way that lets them problem solve. Or sometimes I use the skills I have learned as a performer to help me get through my own transitions and change my own joys and fears. So you've been on the stage, you've also been on the screen? I have. I'm lucky enough, living in Alberta, to have an experience being in uh, traditional plays, new plays, TV series, movies, radio, anywhere, anywhere.
0: And have you written any of your own material?
3: Yes. I have contributed one of my pieces called Make Me Laugh for one of the Edmonton Fringes, but also now I work as a a motivational speaker and a facilitator, and I do that through telling stories. And they are sometimes stories that I have memorized, phrases, sayings, songs sometimes. So life's improvisation. And preparation. It's a combination. They say a discovery is an accident meeting a prepared mind. I believe in that. So I believe there are things to do to prepare, and then there is a skill to being in the present.
0: Making olives, what's, what's the preparation that you have to do? That, where do you bring maybe some of your skills as an
3: actor? Well, part of it is, I have to sling around a 25, 30 pound pails of, mm-hmm. of olives. So every day before I come here, I've done 10 minutes of a Pilates workout. I would not do without it. Have to keep my body in shape, and during the time that I have worked at all of me, I've dropped 50 pounds.
0: You must have met a lot of really interesting people, just done a lot of fabulous things. Tell us about a moment that you've had that was perhaps pretty scary
3: in your life. I'd almost completed my year at theater school, and I was very depressed, and I knew that I needed to keep myself taking action, doing things. So I was in Montreal, but I contacted my sister in Toronto and she said, we're going caving in West Virginia. Do you want to come? And I had never been caving before. I'm from the prairies, hello. We're used yeah. to you know <laughs> watching your dog run away for three days. You know? <laughs> and, um, and I said, I'll come. And then I get there and we go into this enormous cave in West Virginia, it was like cathedral inside. And I would always go second in line so that I wouldn't have a chance to chicken out. Ah. So I'm right behind the leader of the group and he says to me, OK, Susan, there's been some rain in here and the next phase is a bit tricky. And what we had to do was we had to slide down the mud slide. Think of a water slide, but turn that into mud. Okay. And that's OK. I'm, I'm OK. I don't mind getting dirty. So slide down. And we get to this bottom, small, about a couple of feet square. And there is a little arc in the bottom of the wall. And he said, that's a hole. There's a tunnel through there. And it's half full of water. I was wearing a helmet, my gear. He said, I'm going to go through. you got to hold your breath. And then get through the other side of the tunnel. And that was the most terrifying thing I have ever done in my life. So, you were in pitch darkness? I would, no, it was not dark. That no? was maybe worse because I could see this, just this arc and see that it was full of water. And he said, You need to trust me. I said, Well, you go first because I'm not stupid. All I could think was, What if I get stuck? Hmm. For me. <laughs> <laughs> but as an actress
0: or actor, what, uh, what yes. was the scariest moment there?
3: It's something I do for playwrights where I hold a space for them. The character's not written yet, mm. it's partially written. So I was in a wonderful political piece, and my character wasn't quite finished yet. And the frightening part for me was knowing that I was the one going to be standing up in front of that audience without enough tools Uh if I couldn't pull it out of the fire. So I had to find a way to be in the neutral zone, in that open place, and contribute but not make enough statements, keep it open, until he could come one day one little thing another day another little thing and help shape you and help shape the character i was holding for him named pamela that was scary worth it but rewarding really really rewarding and helped me be a parent Hmm. where i was raising my children and again holding that neutral place so Hmm. that they could truly be who they are and that's the other scariest thing i've ever done is be a parent Hmm. to spirited children we don't know whether we can do it <laughs> exactly and we maybe can't do it one like that day. like that, at that, just at that moment. Yeah. that's correct that hole in that sense was so easy because it was a moment mm. you could actually enter in accomplish a task that's why i like helping isabel with the olives because yeah, I, I can slap that. that pail of olives around you going here now next
0: yeah the jobs <laughs> are getting
3: done as you go
0: along what about the little pearl of wisdom that you would have gleaned from that life that you've lived so far that you handed on to your children
3: I got this from when I faced cancer over 20 years ago and it's just hitting me so funny that I did not consider that the scariest thing because yes I had cancer as a young mother I asked whoever you ask such questions if I could remember the wisdom from that time and use it for the rest of my life and have. One of the things is to live my life as if I have five minutes or 50 years, whichever comes first. (laughs) To me, I get very practical when I would say something like that. I would think to myself, what exactly does that mean then? Five minutes. What exactly would I want to accomplish? Because what if you're really tired? What if you're really sad? What if you're really angry? What if you're really afraid? Can you actually have concrete things? And that's the actor in me. Saying then I, what exactly do I do in front of all these people? Yeah, Exactly like in five minutes, what? <laughs> so the first piece is, if I have two loaves of bread, I would then sell one and buy a flour. So I always would take the practical needs of a situation, that's the one loaf of bread, sell another loaf of bread and buy a flour means keep bringing into my life always whatever brings depth color that's why I said have a delicious and sparkly day why not Mm. even in the worst there is space to say delicious and sparkly you can have a swamp and you also have the lotus. With lights around the swamp. Well, and you have the lotus with lights around the swamp. <laughs> that sparkle so nice. Anybody who sees cockroaches, for example, yeah. from another country goes, what pretty, pretty colors. A lotus flower grows out of a swamp. The second rule, do not use an axe to remove a fly from your friend's forehead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's my... that's my favorite. That's deep. <laughs> Leads to the 50 year part of the five minutes. <laughs> leads to long term resolution. Mm. Always look for respect. Mm. And respect comes from the word respectar, Greek word respectar, which simply means willingness to look again. It doesn't mean demanding that someone respects me or that I must bow down before someone else. It means that I would dare to take a moment to look again. It also means find different ways to release that stress and laughter releases stress. So those are the ones that, lucky enough when I had my time, uh, I had uh, 54 hours of intensive therapy at the cancer clinic, two times, attached to a a radiation device. And it was an extraordinary chance to evaluate the tools that I had gathered so far, and I had done a good job. It wasn't a wake-up call for me. It was a chance to really look at my tools Mm. and say, are these working? Even in the the empty space, that neutral zone between Mm. an ending and a beginning, there are things to do. Find out your own purpose. Or when I, I went and moved to Quebec in 2006 for three years and felt completely disoriented, there I was, all my tools of speaking were taken from me. I was living in a French, completely French-Italian neighborhood. And I uh, just smiled and listened, learned how to listen. Uh-huh. It was such a powerful... So the experiences come
1: when
0: you need them. They do. Ready, when you're ready.
3: When we're ready. Uh, and sometimes yeah. the experiences come and you go, oh, I guess I'm ready. <laughs> it's not always comfortable. <laughs> yeah.
0: Maybe, maybe we don't think we're ready, but whoever sends those experiences to us
3: says, you're ready. Exactly. You're ready Egg- for this. You're, re- you're right. You're so right about that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Thanks to Susan Sneath for speaking with us about the actor's life in The Neutral Zone. I'm Marie Fontaine. I'm Chris Chang and Phillips. And you're listening to All That Matters.
2: And today we're asking, what happens between the limelight and regular life? What happens in that? neutral zone.
0: It's almost a definition of Canadian art to say it's underappreciated at home, but it just seems criminal how undervalued one group of artists has been, the Professional Native Indian Artists Incorporated.
2: They've also been called the Indian Group of Seven and the Native Group of Seven. The group was started in the 70s as a way for these amazing Indigenous artists to band together and get their work recognized by the mainstream art world. Regina's McKenzie Art Gallery has created a huge exhibition of their work. It's been traveling all across the country, And for our next story, we spoke to one of the three surviving members of the group as the exhibition opened at its Edmonton stop, the Art Gallery of Alberta. He is, maybe ironically, the only American member of the group. His name is Joseph Sanchez. And being part of the Professional Native Indian Artists, Inc. changed not just Joseph Sanchez's artistic direction, but also how he saw himself. So Joseph, you left the U.S. for Canada in the early '70s. You'd been in the Marines before, is that right?
1: Uh, yes, I was. Uh, I'd spent uh, 28 months of active service in the in the Marines.
2: And what what was the impetus for you leaving?
1: Oh well, that was a good one. It wasn't the uh, war. It was uh, during the. Uh, uh, I, I was a uh, teacher in the Marine Corps, uh, teaching electronics, and. Uh, Uh, since we stayed back, uh, from the war, we were part of the, uh, riot police, basically during the Watts area in Los Angeles, the, the, that whole time of civil unrest. And one of the exercises they would make you do is, uh, unsheath your bayonet, put it on your rifle and thrust it forward, chanting, kill your mother. And, uh. That was something my mother had just passed, and uh, it was something I couldn't do. And it became the beginning of the end. You know, once you disobey an order, direct command, you know, then there's no hope. So it it was more about that, you know? Ultimately, I wasn't against the war, but my mother had died, so, you know, I I went, I was kind of a confused young man, joined the military.
2: (laughs) What, uh, I mean, That's kind of a big question, but what kind of person do you think that you wanted to be at that time when you were looking for a new life?
1: I think I was looking for a way out, you know? the uh, Like, uh, when you're in your 20s, you know, like, life seems hopeless. You know, it can be really, uh, you know, I dropped out of college. I went to the seminary, realized that was not my calling. Uh, You know, my mother dies. I... I go to college and get really have a bad experience there with the my first art teacher. Uh, I then joined the Marine Corps, and uh, you know, with uh, only thoughts of maybe uh, almost suicidal. I'll go to Vietnam, and you know, I volunteered. But uh, unfortunately, my uh, academic skills were were good, and I became a teacher. <clears throat> that was the best in my electronics class, so they made me a teacher. Hmm. And, uh, you know, everything went fine until uh, this uh, situation with the, uh, you know, kill your mother. And uh, that became the beginning of the end. so it took some planning. I decided I made the decision to leave and head, head to Canada, you know, try, try to find a different life. You know, and it was a hard decision to leave my family behind. I came up here and it was almost three years before I contacted my family. You know, I, I started uh, doing my work because I've always thought of myself as an artist since I've been 10 years old. So I just started doing the work, and as I was traveling across Canada, uh, my wife at the time, uh, her father says, have you had a friend that lived in the Pa in northern uh, Manitoba? And she said, uh, do you, have you ever met Daphne Ojek? She has a gallery in Winnipeg. So I put my work under my arm, and I went and met Daphne Ojig, and the rest is history. You know, her, she purchased a piece from me, and I just encouraged me to do the work.
2: Joseph Sanchez left the United States because he couldn't accept what he was being asked to do. And he had artistic talents he was ready to put to use. But Canada in the 1970s wasn't willing to accept Indigenous artists. Their work was being largely dismissed as handicrafts, trinkets, minor curiosities. It had only been a couple of years, after all, since the federal government put forward its 1969 white paper. Ostensibly, it proposed to get rid of the Indian Act. Indigenous people saw it as an attempt to get rid of them, to assimilate. The wounds were still raw. The,
1: the challenge was that there was uh, no support. And uh, once we realized that and we weren't ever going to get the support, you know, the, the challenge then was just to do the work.
2: And so, in 1973, Joseph Sanchez became the youngest member of an astonishing group of artists from across the continent. Norval Morisot, Jackson Beardy, Alex Janvier, Eddie Kobanus, Carl Ray, and Daphne and Joseph. Promoting each other's art, trying to get it accepted and displayed at major galleries, improving each other's craft. Joseph's style is intense, dreamy, surreal. He's created some really trippy, sometimes graphic, paintings, drawings, and sculptures. And like the rest of the professional Native Indian artists' work, his pieces still seem fresh and emotional today.
1: Uh, You know, when the group was formed, it was just, uh, a lot of artists were invited, but it just so happens that with these seven, and very important seven, that that, uh, carried forth this idea that we can really make art that, really represents our people. Hmm. And that, that breakthrough really for me in in those terms was, you know, to see uh, Norval get his uh, one-person show at the National Gallery, followed by Daphne, having her one-person show, and then uh, now uh, Alex Janvier in the fall, shows that uh, finally, in, in Canada at least, there's recognition of, of the quality of, of art that is truly... Uh, These are master uh, artists and and should be recognized and should be shared. That Canadian culture needs to be uh, shared at this level. You know, we've gone through all the years of of the imported art, whether it's the uh, American abstract expressionist pop art movement or or the early European uh, masterworks, completely uh, suppressing the idea that real art could be created in the Americas. And you know the, the Americas have a great history of incredible art, but the powers that be, you know, created museums that only show European masterworks and everything that reflected that. Or in the case of uh, like pop art, that recent stuff, which really does has no reference to uh, to the land, the things that we believe in. You know, our protection of uh, of our place uh, with the water resources. You know the. The work also is infused, our work has always had been infused with a, uh, almost an ecological message. Because this is where we come from. We, we, we are people of the land. And as John Trudell would say, how did our land become your country? You know, how did that happen? Hmm. You know, this is something that we've considered. You know, so, you know, there was genocide, the killing of 50 million buffalo." uh the residential schools i mean there's there's been a lot of suppression and oppression and it's it's turning it's it's not there yet certainly in the art world it's not there yet you know in the states it's a lot you know uh, worse for native artists They're not con- they're none of no native artists has been in the national gallery here we have 3 in canada which shows uh Moving toward that respect that this work truly is a cultural legacy of of this country. So you know it's uh, it's very important. You know and 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 this touring show is really illustrates that the the public's uh, love of the work, their respect and pride for for these artists, uh, more so Ojig and Alex, all all of them. You know they. They come out and they see the work and they realize in this show that is, uh, which Michelle calls not a retrospective, but a retroactive, this is a show that should have happened 45 years ago.
4: Um, We had artists like Daphne Ojig being told her work was either um, too native or not native enough, so I mean the, that must have been completely frustrating, um, having to deal with these double, double standards.
2: That's Michelle Lavallee, the curator behind the exhibition of their work that's been travelling all across Canada. As one of the associate curators at Regina's Mackenzie Gallery, she's among a handful of Indigenous curators in Canada. Curators are in a major position to shape the art that the public sees. It's a big deal, and she doesn't take it for granted.
4: Other uh, uh, artists like Alex Janvier, any signs of modernity in his work was often rejected as incompatible, um, or just not congruent with society's, I guess, ingrained stereotype of what First Nations uh, artists should be producing. Like they shouldn't so really, be making anything new. Yeah. So so I mean, just imagine having to deal with that on top of all you know the the discrimination that individuals would. Would uh, be faced with as you know, First Nations individuals in, in contemporary Canadian society. So, so what they did was was huge. They really did break down um, tremendous barriers and set in motion um, a new way of thinking about Indigenous people and their art. That that really does continue to inspire and and direct um, the way we view contemporary Aboriginal art today.
2: How do you think that? Working on this exhibition has changed the way you see your job, holding the public's hand and showing them what's important to see.
4: <laughs> um, I I think for me, you know, as a as a curator, um, a an Nishnabe curator, uh, I felt both both obligated, but also empowered uh, to look back and honor and recognize the work of those who come before me. You know, if it wasn't for the work of you know, these seven artists and their contemporaries, uh, I, I probably wouldn't be in the position I am today to facilitate an exhibition of this scale. We're still kind of fighting those battles. There, there really isn't a lot of Indigenous curators in full-time positions in the mainstream galleries across Canada. There, there's, I think, maybe four of us uh, employed full-time, yeah. and, and that's definitely not enough.
2: Joseph Sanchez returned to the U.S. in 1975 when President Gerald Ford granted amnesty to a huge swathe of draft dodgers who'd fled to countries like Canada during the Vietnam War. Since then, he's been a curator himself, run exhibitions, and gotten some pretty major recognition for his work in the United States. He still comes to Canada for appearances, like his talk at the AGA, and to see Alex and Daphne. How do you think, uh, being part of the professional Native Indian artists, how do you think that's changed? how you see yourself as a person.
1: Oh, it's, uh, it's given me uh, such a spiritual grounding, you know, that uh, it is the core of who I am. You know, my uh, relationship to nature, my spiritual life, the dedication to your craft, truth and honesty in your work. We, we didn't do this, the founding of the group, to have champagne receptions in New York. We did it to take our work across Canada and inspire young people. That they need to do the work and be proud of their work. And that's really what this was about.
2: That was Joseph Sanchez, artist and member of the Professional Native Indian Artists, Inc., and Michelle Lavallee, the Mackenzie Art Gallery curator behind the exhibition of their work that's been traveling around Canada. Seven, Professional Native Indian Artists Inc. is open at the Art Gallery of Alberta until July 3rd, 2016. So Marie, what is the neutral zone? What is in that space between being at center stage and having people pay attention to your work all the time and then your regular life?
0: Hmm. Well, I think the neutral zone isn't a place where nothing happens. On the contrary, it's where artists find their power. For Joseph Sanchez, it was discovering Canada and some pretty special people who would be instrumental in helping pursue his desire to be a professional artist. For Susan Sneath, it was staring death in the face with laughter and using her experience as an actor at every stage of her life.
2: Hmm. Well, that's all we have time for today.
0: All That Matters is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton. If you have questions about the show or ideas, email us at allthatmatters@cjsr.com. at cgsr.com. You can find past episodes of our show on our website, all that matters, cgsr.wordpress.com. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter. We're at ATMCGSR.
2: You can also find past episodes on iTunes. Our theme music is by Teru. Additional music by Rasheen Murphy. I'm Chris Cheng and Phillips.
0: And I'm Marie Fontaine. Thank you for listening.